And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I am and Adam. Guess what we're talking about? I believe we are going to talk about uh, some followers this week, right? Some some very dutiful followers. Yes, but not our followers like Brian no. Fleetwood. Who went on over to Patreon.com and dropped in as little as $2 to get an entire episode handcrafted around one of his suggestions. Thank you, Brian. Now, this is a different kind of follower, uh, mainly someone who is uh, so devoted that they might even be described as an acolyte. So uh, what was the request that's starting us off this week? Dude, why do we not call our Patreon people our acolytes? (laughs) Because they shouldn't worship us. Debatable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very debatable in fact because because if they if we did we'd be worried that one of them would turn into uh fabian cortez I, that's I right <laughs> someone would try and murder me or you probably yeah. me trying Nothing to bring down our you. asteroid m oh man that would be nuts that would be bananas <laughs> guys we're talking about the acolytes uh because yes. brian fleetwood like I had mentioned, was so kind to go over to acolyte.com slash Xavier Files and pitch in his $2 to uh, get this story on our list. And that is Uncanny X-Men 300. Yeah, with the with the sort of holographic background cover. cover. I mean, we're clearly in the image age here. The image age of comics are upon <laughs> us. Yeah. Now this is this is not by an image artist by any degree. This is in fact by a pretty classic artist. Uh it's John Romita Jr. Yeah, yeah. And um this is in that age where like John Romita Jr. is doing uh blood and metal, and then he does a, a, his uncanny run again. And I love this era of JRJR. It's so different from his original uncanny run. Because mm-hmm. at this point he's just he's just drawing boxes on top of boxes on top of boxes for like machines and guns. And I just love it. It's such a weird aesthetic that it's uh, not as blocky. It's not as blocky as he would get like a decade later. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think it still works without the over stylized stuff that some of the JRJR stuff can get to, but I think it works. And he's working off of a script written by professional comic book writer, Scott Lobdell. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, now this does involve, uh, our good friends, the acolytes who are the acolytes, Zach. Uh, I like, do you want me to say their names because there's no, so many. Thank no, God. no. It's kind of like Thank trying you, to Adam. the dark riders or something. What a kindness you have given mm. upon me. Uh, no, uh, the acolytes are the people who worship Magneto. Like in a religious sense, I believe in our last episode, I referred to them as Magneto's praise band. (laughs) And I thought about that today because I was editing that episode, uh, a little peek behind the kimono, if you will. And I was like, hmm, I mean, they are. 
Yeah, it's it's not that bad of a description. Um, unfortunately, they all dress very, very similarly. And so really, similarly. Yeah, and you really only need to know a couple of them. Um, you need to know their absolutely uh, awful leader, Fabian Cortez. Fabian um, Cortez. Who, who is just the worst ponytail man um, that uh, X-Men can provide. Um, he is a jerk and, boy. Yeah. Um, you, you have to know Amelia Vogt. Um, who's cool. got a history with Xavier and is kind of fun. Yeah. And then I, I, Frenzy's in here, right? Um, I mean, Frenzy's in here, but you don't have to know Frenzy until later. Like, yes. it's weird because Joanna Cargill, who would later go by Frenzy, and maybe previously, I forget when. If yeah, she, she was Frenzy in X Factor too, I believe. And she's not Frenzy in the act. She's just Cargill because they all go by last names. Or yes. no, well, they jump between because like Uniscone is not her last name. Her last name is the Untouchable. <laughs> right, because she's Unis's daughter. Is that? Yeah, you know Unis has like several kids on several superhero teams. He has a kid on Alpha Flight. You know, I, I don't want to get too graphic here, but it does beg the question as to how Unis procreates. I, I he is untouchable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how did that happen Damn it, Adam. <laughs> just a question to keep you up at night tonight folks um, <laughs> so i mean do you want to give a quick synopsis of what happens in this story uh, it, it's a long one um it is actually this is get, a giant size yeah you know, we get 52 pages at 395 um and which is a is, steal even today yeah not 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 too bad uh what what the heck is happening here the x-men have to go to france for reasons Mm -hmm. and then the acolytes show up to fight the x-men kinda and then one of the new acolytes who they go by neophyte and no one's really sure if that's his code name because it wouldn't make sense for a code name or if that's just what they're calling them because they got that religious thing going on right Uh, He gets like, yeah, all these people are evil. And then he meets a human and he's like, oh, dang, humans are okay. Which begs the question, did he ever have human contact in his life before then? Yeah, Um, because he's a teenager. I mean, like, where's this dude been? Where you been? He had a mom. I'm sure he had a mom. (laughs) Um, Anyway, and then he's like, oh, what? Oh, and then they find out that Fabian Cortez is actually a dirty bad boy. Right working for right. the game master and he murdered Magneto, which Amelia vote is not thrilled with. Uh, no, not at all. Um, and uh, Fabian kicks the crud out of Bishop and then Wolverine straight up stabs him. Um, it doesn't stick. Fabian Cortez stays alive for yeah, like, too long. It, yeah. Maybe a page or two later. He's uh, he's okay. Right. Yeah. This so introduces a lot of acolytes too like Mellencamp and spore and senyaka yes but not the same spore as the wolverine cocaine story so uh you know no, we didn't have that to look spore. forward to <laughs> are the kleinstock brothers here i don't think they are right uh yeah they're here harlan and Sven. are they? they're here okay. Not that you could tell, because again, they all dress alike, and that's a problem with the acolytes because their powers are not distinct enough for the most part to tell them apart. 
Yeah. Uh, so like you know who Joanna Cargill is because she's the only black one. Mm. Uh, you know that uh, who Mellencamp is because he's the only lizard one. <laughs> and you know who Senyaka is because he doesn't show his face because it's kind of like man, a ninja. No, he's it's not it's it's worse. He's got a uh, he's got an Arabic thing. Oh, that's what's on. going on. I'm sorry. I'm glancing at this too fast, but he's the that's, one with like the whips, right? That the yeah, look, whips. Senyaka, the longer you look at Senyaka, the worse he becomes. But I mean, <laughs> he's just a, he's just there. He made for a cool, uh, cool uh, action figure. So he's got that going for him, which is sure. nice. Yeah, and there's some cool moments spread out throughout this thing. Uh, Angel dragging Bishop through the sky is really fun. Jean Grey cuts loose on Mellencamp in this great scene. Um, oh, yeah, that scene's dope. Yeah. That scene that, is super dope. Iceman kind of powers up uh, in a new way in here. And it's just, I, I love the illustrations in this. So this is a really fun issue to, to look at. I enjoy it, even if, you know, it's basically just boils down to a giant fight scene between uh, X-Men and Acolytes. Yeah. It's got some baggage, like the Game Master. Yes. <laughs> we didn't get a chance when we when we talked to Fabian, uh, not Cortez, Fabian Nicieza, who's a much better person than Fabian Cortez. Yeah, we should have asked him about the upstarts. We I should have asked about him about that. the Game Master so much, because I've just <laughs> got a million questions. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like there's really a long term, uh, you know, game plan with the Games Master because the motives and the rules of whatever the game is shift. The upstarts roster shifts constantly. So it's a mess. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, he, he kind of denies Fabian his uh, his upstarts points. Right. Which lets everyone know that maybe Magneto's not as dead as we thought. Dun, dun, dun. I'm Sounds glad like we did a... that at the same time. We didn't play that. <laughs> It's like a fatal attraction. Um, so, Shut up. <laughs> come on. Well, and this issue ends with a, uh, a uh, Brandon Peterson penciled epilogue with Ileana contracting the legacy virus. So we know where we're going uh, from, from this point forward. Yeah. It's going to um, get very sad. Remember, remember a while back when we said that everything bad happens to Colossus. Yes. It's going to continue. <laughs> yeah that's exactly what happens um but I, I do think that you know as landmark issues go it, it's it's a nice one it doesn't have like a real memorable story but um i'll revisit it just from the art alone um where do you think this ranks on our giant list so my problem is i have no particular attraction to this issue one way or another okay i think, I think this issue fair. is perfectly vanilla Yes. So I'm trying to look at some 90s-ish stuff. Like, to me, this isn't as good as X-Men Ghost Rider Brood Trouble in the Big Easy. Okay. Which yeah, is at 105 like right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have, like, a lot of arcs. I mean, we're really talking about a very 90s story with uh, some, some really cool JRJR art. So if those two things don't entice you I, I don't think you're gonna find that much here but um if if either of those things sound attractive to you you're gonna enjoy it um, so can i can, can i throw this out here yeah i think it might be better than x factor happenings in vegas at 110 yeah i, I would agree with that i'm not convinced it's better than cocaine 
Um, <laughs> Look at your like reside like. Yeah, I mean, I've gone, to, I've gone to bat for that story a couple times now, and I do think that it is just wacky enough to be more interesting. Um, so yeah, I I do think this might have a little bit more content to it than the uh, the a day like any other special edition X Men story backup. Um, so you think that's a good spot on the list for it? Yeah, I think Uncanny X-Men 300, subtitled Legacies, but that's a bad subtitle. We're not going to use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's so generic. Uh, comes in as our new number 110 on the list. But nice. speaking of Legacies, and this was not a segue that I <laughs> planned on. We're going to talk about X-Men Legacy, aren't we? We're finally going to talk about X-Men Legacy. We're finally going to talk about Mike Carey. How have we gone... 70 issues about this podcast and not brought up that Mike Carey's really good at X-Men. Yeah, this is uh this is an interesting era too. So we're we're after Messiah Complex here, right? Directly after Messiah Complex. This is the first arc in X-Men Legacy. This is X-Men Legacy 208 to 210. Subtitle to be determined when I type it into the Marvel Wikia. Uh, well, the first issue is titled from Genesis to Revelations. I don't know. Does this have like a larger name for the arc? From Genesis to Revelations <laughs> is the larger name for the arc. Oh, man, that's okay. worse. That's yeah, worse. That's, that's a long name. Um, anyway, this is... Uh, by Mike Carey writing, who Mike Carey wrote just a ton of X-Men, including some of my favorite stuff. Like, we haven't ranked Supernovas yet, Adam. Have you read Supernovas? No, but I've heard good things. Uh, Supernovas is freaking dope. <laughs> Supernovas <laughs> is so good. Here's Here, I'll, I'll just give you a hint, because we're not talking about Supernovas. Uh, but it's got that good, good Chris Bachelot art. Ooh, okay, I'm sold. It's got Rogue and Cable on a team with Mystique and Sabretooth and Iceman and the Omega Sentinel and one of Mastermind's daughters. I forget which one. That sounds great. I'll, yeah. I'll check that out. Iceman and Cannonball are there and they're friends. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I, I love Supernovas. I could, I could talk about Supernovas at length and eventually, eventually I will. But Any acolytes now. in that story? <laughs> No acolytes. No, but <laughs> but Joanna Cargill shows up a little bit later. Oh, okay. That's kind and of she's a lead in this up. story as well. Yeah, yeah. Mike Carey, Mike Carey does a very good job at doing long form Claremontian storytelling, mm -hmm. which is one of the things I really like about him in this X Men Legacy run and his previous uh, adjectiveless X Men run uh, before this. Carey did a great job planting seeds and coming back to them later yeah um now we have a, a variety of different artists on here because the plot revolves around the fact that um bishop has basically just shot xavier in the head um and Not the his best moment no uh and the acolytes have his body so we're talking about exodus um frenzy Omega, uh, who who else is here? Um, Amelia Voigt. Yeah, uh, Omega Amelia is there. Mm -hmm. uh, Random is there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but, I think I think Tempo is there, but she doesn't do anything in this story. That's a shame. Oh, like and Unicone. 
Unisone's oh, there. Yeah. So we have these um, Mindscape illustrators that, that take over. So um, we have Scott Eaton doing the reality. And then when we jump into the Mindscapes, uh, the first issue is a real cool combo. We have JRJR back um, being inked by Klaus Jansen. Um, who's on the other two? Uh, Greg Land and... Greg Land is on the third one. And I believe it is Billy Tan. Yeah, Billy Tan on the second. Okay. Yeah, so with, we're with colors on the first issue by friend of the show Christina Strain. Uh yeah, yeah, which is really great. So we've got a little bit of variety in the artwork, and we're basically going back and forth between Xavier going back into his past um and eventually getting into a mindscape battle with Exodus. And then in the present, there's sort of an ongoing debate about Xavier's legacy versus Magneto's legacy and which one, you know, deserves to continue into the future. So I love this. And here's why. There's a big thing that happens in X-Men around this time about, hey, maybe, maybe Xavier sucks. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's some pretty clunky ways that they handle that. Deadly Genesis being easily the clunkiest, but even the stuff with danger in Astonishing X-Men uh, that mm -hmm. we talked about it's i don't know how well that works as far as demonizing xavier what legacy does is not further demonize him what it does is recontextualizes what were just silver age comics of yes of course comic books can be whatever and recontextualizes xavier's actions into a more serious, more down-to-earth, more reality-and-consequence-based approach uh, in 2008. And I think that is fascinating because you get scenes like Moira McTaggart calling out Xavier like, you're just building a child army. What are you doing, Charles? <laughs> yeah, and it also um, starts to, when you talk about recontextualize, it starts to talk about this idea of Xavier's dream and even Magneto's dream is perhaps both being irrelevant mm -hmm. um, and that maybe we need to move forward and, and think in new, new ways about, you know, what the future of mutant kind should be, which I think is really a fascinating concept. It's not only fascinating, it's something that the books really pushed during this era. I mean, you got, you got think pieces on a bunch of comics websites saying, well, Maybe Cyclops is the new Magneto and Wolverine's the new Xavier. And it was never that simple and never that cut and dry because they they shifted the paradigm. It was not now it wasn't about we must have integration at all costs versus we must have domination at all costs. It was what means are you going to use to get your ends? Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a much more fascinating and interesting way to approach things than just the sheer black and white of Xavier and uh, Magneto. And yeah. this story real smartly uses all this old continuity to come to that conclusion. It uses not just the, you know, the shady past from Xavier stuff being recontextualized, but the fact that all this is happening because Magneto's acolytes want someone to lead them now that Magneto's been depowered. It's super good. Like that shows, hey, 
both these guys were real screw-ups. Maybe they shouldn't be the people you're putting on a pedestal. Maybe they had some decent ideas, but they don't make sense in execution. And that level of nuance is missing in so many X-Men comics. And dang, is it good to see here. Yeah, I really enjoyed in the third issue um, when Exodus is going after Xavier. He's basically showing him a litany of crimes, if you will. You know, like things that have happened to the X-Men because he formed the X-Men. And uh, I I think the story kind of gives Xavier a little bit of an out because he's saying like, well, I got shot in the head, so I'm not really Xavier. So those aren't really my crimes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like he's still being held to account for all of these things that have happened, all of these people who have died because of what he thought was right um and it it's really effective i I think it makes for a really good narrative yeah i i have i don't think x-men legacy is perfect i think there is some stuff that doesn't always work with it as a unit of comics but i think this is a really interesting start in a really good way to look at the x-men i think carrie does a great job with it it's not my favorite thing he's ever written but I, going back at this, I was honestly surprised how much I enjoyed it, uh, rereading it. Yeah, the artwork is terrific, too. Um, oh, yeah. I think, I think Eaton's work is, is really good. Um, and even the flashback stuff, um, you know, even though it's different artists in each of the issues, it's I really cool. I wish it was Ramita for all of them. Because yeah, that would have been great. Um, he, but... is, he is stylistically so far away from Eaton, and he mm-hmm. has the... Bonafides of being a classic X-Men yes. artist, TMTM. Yeah. That, like, it works really well in a way that I think Philip Tan stuff works pretty well because of the coloring on it and the mm-hmm. way that it's presented differently. And the Greg Land stuff doesn't just mostly because Greg Land was such a contemporary artist of 2008 that it yeah, it's, doesn't... It's similar to Eaton's work. I will say that I, I, I am not always the biggest Land fan well, who is? Um, but I think that the work he does in these issues for the flashback scenes does actually do a pretty good job of um, almost looking like John Cassidy a little bit. Um, like you can see that influence on some of the uh, on some of the panel work that he's doing. Um, you know, yeah, I'm I'm not always a big fan, but I think it works for this story. So I think we're both in agreement. This is pretty good. It's pretty um, good. It's worth reading. Like sometimes we say it's worth reading because it's so weird that you kind of just need to take it in. I think this this is worth reading because it's good. Yeah. I think it's pretty solid and it's, it looks really good too. Um, So we have Messiah war at number 48 um, on our top heavy list. Yeah. Messiah complex is all the way up at number eight. It's not um, as good as Messiah complex. No, 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 no. I, I don't think so either, but, um, I do think it's pretty solid. So what's a good comparison here, um, in terms of where we're at in the list? I think that this is better than giant size X-Men number one. Okay. I think that's a good place to start. Um, I think for me, it's better than that AVX Sinister story. All right. Where do we have that at? We've got 37. 37. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just reorienting myself on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I, know if. Can we, I'd say my, right. 
my ceiling is my ceiling. My absolute ceiling is E is for Extinction Secret War. I don't think it's as good as that at 32. Yeah, I wasn't even going to put it above Morlocks. I, I feel like Morlocks has a little bit more ingenuity than this. Well, then, um, then I think we go right below it because I do think okay. this is probably better than what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires, which is. <laughs> yeah, I would say so, um, even though that is a heck of a fun story. Oh, my gosh. I kind of want to reread that. I didn't reread that during the spooky month. Yeah, uh, because I was reading that time that he was Lord of the Vampires during Inferno in being just sorely disappointed. Mm. Yeah, that was a disappointment. The, the sequel really didn't live up. But, hey, speaking uh, of disappointment. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the last story that we have on our list. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, I got to compliment you because I think we we talked about this briefly in another episode. And it's yeah, one we of these found re- out about this on this show. It's recorded. You can go back to episode whatever one we talked about Magneto on. Yeah. So this is a real live miniseries that Marvel kind of discounts in their volumes of Magneto. Um, but it is a real thing. What volume should this be? Volume two? No, this is volume one. This is volume one. Okay. Yes, All right. because they, as far as things released that were named Magneto, they had a few years before this Magneto issue zero, which was yeah. a lot of weird reprints. And I think like a four pager or something like that. That was mm-hmm. just, uh, maybe, it, maybe it was Gabrielle Holler, some sort of UNE person saying, Hey, this is Magneto. He kind of sucks. Here's all the <laughs> evil things he's done. Maybe we should do something about it. Go check out Fatal Attraction coming out this summer. Got it. Well, this is not that. This Ew. is about everybody's, should I say everybody's favorite? I don't know if anybody's favorite is Joseph. Um, who I've gets encountered his... a lot of X-Men fans over time. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I have been at a hub of X-Men fandom. And I've heard a lot of fans talk about a lot of favorite characters that I don't understand. Ain't nobody ever come to me and said, nah, Joseph actually slaps. <laughs> no one has said that. So this four issue Magneto series about Joseph is just. Jeez. Hey, uh, who who writes this? Okay, so it is scripted by Jorge Gonzalez. However, the four issues are plotted by none other than Peter Milligan of Ecstatics fame. At this point, Shade the Changing Man fame. Right, right. And then we have uh, Pencils by Kelly Jones, Inked by John Beatty. Uh, Wow, this sure is something. The fact that this even exists is Should we? Should we ground this... I just realized we should probably ground people on who Joseph is because we've just been saying, man, Joseph sucks for well, a little bit without explaining who or what Joseph is. Yes. Yeah, so I Magneto, think the context is important. Magneto is supposed to be dead. And here is he got this, fatal attraction. Right. Dead. Here is a young, long haired version Magneto. of Magneto that has shown up in Uncanny, I believe. Um, this is sort of what? We're getting into the beginning of like the maggot era, correct? Like this is a little bit before the maggot. This is the onslaught era. Yeah. Okay. And Joseph is Joseph. He doesn't think that he's anything other than that, but he's slowly realizing that he might be Magneto. Correct? Yes. I believe the 
authorial intent at this point is that he was actually Magneto, but m- after the Professor Xavier mind wipe from Fatal Attractions, he was Magneto, but good and young and hot. Yes. However, he eventually turns out to not be Magneto. He is a, a clone. clone. Yeah. It's a clone. Um, all right. So let's just let's just start with the fact that Joseph is supposed to be a younger version of uh, Magneto. Um, throughout this series, he is illustrated as almost a grotesquely looking middle-aged man wearing a giant white wig. Um, yeah, look, Kelly Jones is known probably most famously for like Batman Red Rain. Okay. Those vampire Batman comics. Yeah. But what the heck, Kelly Jones? <laughs> Your art is not good in this. And Ooh. I want it to be, but it's not. You've made Joseph scary. There are some really interesting stylistic things that I feel like he's borrowing from uh, Joe Quesada um, here and there, uh, just in the terms of his line work or or the way he constructs a face. But it is interesting to me that all four issues, they continually refer to Joseph as lad, as if he is this like young person and he just looks like this steroid hulked out old dude. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so, so Adam, what does Joseph do in this four issue series? Okay. If I was going to distill these four issues down to nothing, it would be Joseph is going on a quest to find remnants of, uh, is it, it's not asteroid M is it? It's something, whatever Avalon. The, Yes, Avalon. Thank you. Which was Um, new Asteroid M. Yes, he encounters uh, the Acolytes, including Exodus and a now newly alive again, Fabian Cortez and Amelia Vogt. And he basically spends the four issues saying, I'm Magneto. Wait, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, wait, I'm Magneto. Wait, no, I'm just Joseph. And that happens like multiple times in an issue. And it's just dumb. Also, he stops a nuclear strike by putting the bomb slightly underground, which I think might actually make things worse. Ugh, yeah. If I know my seismology right, he just caused several earthquakes and then irradiated a lot of soil. Mm-hmm. It's not... Uh, Joseph doesn't come across as a real smart person. No, uh, he's super dumb, right? <laughs> he just comes off as a real... To be. Yeah. He's just a dumb dumb in these. He's a real like like you know knives. You know how they're supposed to be real sharp and easy <laughs> to cut through things. Yeah. Joseph's like that but he struggles with butter. <laughs> um and there are just these weird details like um Fabian or or who is it? Exodus um is like torturing Amelia vote in this and like puts a face hugger on her sort of like, yeah, what the heck? Like there's just these weird asides in here that don't really make any sense. Um, Larry Trask is here and he executes it, dude, but it doesn't really come up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then fires nukes on, uh, on the acolytes and Joseph has to save the day. And, you know, when it wraps up, there's, there's the series is bookended by these weird conversations he's having with Rogue about like, 
Well, is who he, really he was like... hooking up with at the time? Because yeah, he... Age of Apocalypse was popular. Is he really, you know, is he really Magneto? Is he going to come back to the X-Men? And, uh, you know, he like goes on this like very bizarre, dumb misadventure and then comes home and is like back to the X-Men. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm just Joseph. And she's like, oh, great. <laughs> That's how it ends. This is a weird series. I didn't know what I was getting into. It's always surprising to me when I find an X-Men comic that I don't recognize and I don't have the slightest clue what it's going to be. Yeah, and it's bad. Oh, it this is. is so bad. This is good being forgotten in 1996. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because um, it, it really has none of the hallmarks of anything you'd want to associate with Magneto except for, you know, the worst of it, which is like you don't really want to hang out with the Acolytes as they hang out with Joseph, who can't decide who he is. <laughs> Yeah, in Exodus, who's a character that I actually tend to like. Like, I liked him and his whole deal in that legacy story. Right. Yeah. That we just talked about. Yeah, he's the worst. Fabian Cortez is also the worst. Everyone's the worst. Even Vote is is sidelined here in a way that makes her like deeply uninteresting. So it's unfortunate. The face hugger, the fact that Joseph makes out with okay, the fact that Joseph makes out with her. After Fabian Cortez said, hey, yeah, Magneto was hooking up with her. You should make sure you make out with her. And he's really... like, well, okay. Yeah, and she's he's like, like, the heck, dude? <laughs> That's good. It's not supposed to be good. I don't think that uh, Peter Milligan or Jorge Gonzalez knew that that was going to be very funny or great. But it did turn out that way in just this bizarre sense. This is yeah. a bad comic. It's just... Yep. Like, I, I'm i a real proponent of the Maggot era because mm-hmm. it kicked off professional comic book writer Scott Lobdell from the X-Books, who he was on for just too long, and said, we're going to try something different. And the reason they had to do that is because crap like Joseph <laughs> was a major plot point and drugged down the X-Books so much. Like, that, that, that absolute garbage between like the onslaught era is everything you've about it and more it's the bad 90s comics like yeah it's rough we've gotten a good appreciation for that let's say up to age of apocalypse uh 90s comics the fabian quartet or the fabian cieza era as someone some would put it but then Fabian got fired, and then Lobdell was left to his own devices, and things just went off so many rails. That's when you get noseless Wolverine. <laughs> That's when you get Joseph. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you you got to appreciate the fact that, like, they found, they, they thought this was marketable. You know, like we're still clearly living in an era where like X-Men comics are, I guess, selling a certain amount because why not budget for a Magneto miniseries? But can you imagine like actually picking this up issue one and thinking you were going to be reading about Magneto and getting this? It's a huge disappointment. It's so bad. I would hate it so much. Yeah. Hey, we got a list where we rank things that we love and hate. Yeah. I'm going to say this. Okay. Not only would I rather read the Morlocks take Manhattan again, (laughs) I would 
definitely rather read the Phalanx Covenant life signs with Duglock and probably the Shatterstar Saga, which I, is at 159 right now. I would rather read Eve of Destruction than read this again. This is bad. Okay, is I'm gonna I'm gonna bad. say this. I'd rather read God Loves Man Kills 2 again. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I really am looking quite low here because this is just irredeemable in a lot of ways. It, I think when, when we get to the bottom of this list, we start to, we start to talk about the absolute offensive quality of some of these books. I don't think this troops is there, but, um, so for it to go into, I think it's worse than the 100th anniversary special. Um, and I'm okay with that. I mean, if you think it's if you think it's worse than God Loves Man Kills too, I, I'm comfortable with it going below. Uh, I don't think it delves into those bottom three where we're just like completely offended by it. This is just a garbage comic book. This really is a garbage comic book. That's the thing. <laughs> this is bad trash. Like, yeah. it's not NYX where I feel gross after reading it. I feel right. confused and sad that I spent my time doing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. All right, so this is our new 165? This is our new 165, a comic that I felt gross and sad about spending all of my time doing that. It's Magneto. <laughs> Hey, speaking of which, hey Adam, hey Adam. Yes. It's an X-Man update. This is an X-Man update. Uh I'm done. Wow. It's over. It is wow. finished. I read it all. It's Ooh. all done. 75 issues of a comic that the best issue would I'm just gonna throw it out here. The best issue of X-Man is pr maybe is better than IVX at 146. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one's requested it yet, so we, we still haven't uh, had the opportunity to rank any X-Man. Oh but my uh, gosh. I applaud your tenacity in, in completing this, uh, this cursed project of yours. Can I tell you two things that happened? Yeah, go ahead. Number one. Mysterio, you know, Mysterio, the Spider-Man villain with yeah, the fishbowl on his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tricks X-Man into thinking that he created Grayville, which is this Smallville-ass kind of perfect reality. So that, because he knows that Nate Gray and Spider-Man are friends, so that he can get Spider-Man's secret identity. Oh my God! What? It's not oh, wow. good, but it's that's that's some Marvel comics right there. <laughs> like I'm on board with that level of dumb. It's not a good comic, but I love I love Mysterio trying that. All right, so that's one. What's two? Number two. Have you heard about the Shaman era? No, I don't know anything about X Men. Okay, Zero. so the the. Here's what happened at issue 63 of X-Men. Warren Ellis got given the reins of three Marvel Comics X-Books. X-Men, X-Force, and Generation X. And he pitches a new direction for all of them. Oh, this is when the, the character design switches, right? Yeah, this is when he gets that... Uh, 
that uh, booby tattoo. <laughs> right, right, right. Most people call that area the chest when it's especially on a male. But uh, yeah, Nate Gray gets his booby X and he becomes what he calls the shaman of the mutant race, which doesn't make any sense because all he does is say, hey, this mutant has a problem. I guess I'll go hang out with them for an arc. <laughs> uh, the authority shows up, though. That's the thing. So Warren oh. Ellis pitches a comic where another comic that at the time he is currently writing also crosses over with it. Hmm. A comic he's writing for a different company. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not Marvel. Nope, nope, that's Image at the time? And that's, Did DC own the Wild Storm at that point? Uh, that's a great question. When but did... it is interesting that that all right, let me, uh, Wait, what's Jim short for? Hold on. That's the first question. DC James. When did James Lee sell the wild card universe or wild storm universe to DC? Um, 1999. So it's okay. 98 into 1999. Okay. So this would have been right about that time where like the authority was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a weird unofficial DC Marvel crossover here. Hmm. Uh, none of it's good. It's all that part, at least, is deeply interesting. It, it's mm-hmm. badness. Anyway, X Man's horrible, and I hate it. And <laughs> I'm worried that Tom is going to send like these volumes are going to appear like a, a cursed tome on my doorstep. I'm so scared. I mean, please, like, please don't do this to me. I don't want to read. Here's, here's what you have going for you. I'm about to have a kid as we record this. I've probably had a kid for a while now, and I'm sure Lincoln is great at this point. <laughs> but right now, I ain't got time to ship you what is some very heavy books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I said you now. Christmas is coming up. I think this is December. <laughs> it's December as we're listening to this, so we'll see what happens. Don't do it. Don't do it. We'll see. Anyway, uh, that's been that's been what may be the final X-Man update. I'm just kidding. We've got an age of X-Man. Yeah, we're entering the age. I think we'll have more. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But I think that does it for this episode. Yeah, that was good. I I liked it. This was a weird pitch, but I think it all worked out. Mm hmm. Good. Anyway, I want to first of all, before we before we close out, I want to bring it down for a second. And I want to thank Brian Fleetwood because he went over to patreon.com and became one of our Battle of the Atom acolytes. He <laughs> pitched in at least $2 and he said, I want, I want you guys to talk about Uncanny X-Men 300 and talk about Seamus Mellencamp. And we did that. <laughs> and I hope Brian feels like his $2 were well spent because I enjoyed my time here. <laughs> and I hope Brian did too. Oh, man. Uh, if you want to be like Brian, you can go over to patreon.com, pitch in there. If you don't even want to pitch in at the $2 a month level, the $1 a month level gets you access into the Battle of the Atom book club, where we give you early warnings on all of the new stuff that we're talking about week after week after week after week. So you'll get to, you'll get to know and maybe read along with us, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's other tiers and other things. And if you want to give us all of your paycheck, 
Yeah, I mean, look, that's cool. Be more responsible <laughs> of your money in that scenario. But we've got different tiers of support, uh, and it actually legitimately does super help out. If you can't help out fiscally, I understand. There's two things you could do. You could go onto iTunes and give us a rating and review because that'll help people find the show. But more than that, tell your buddy. You know that one guy that you talk about X-Men with? Say, hey, these people talk about Magneto and his acolytes, and it was really fun, and I enjoyed it, and maybe you would too. Share the love of this podcast, because Adam and I share it on Facebook, and the only people who like those episodes are my grandma, which is fine, but she's not in the (laughs) listening audience. Uh, otherwise, you can find me online at Xavier Files. It's where I have all the latest X-Men news and all that other stuff. Also, Xavier Files on Twitter. Hey, Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, through December, we'll still get new pages of Bish and Jube's Attack on the Mansion on every X-Men Monday. And check out uh, my collaboration with Retcon X, The Division, on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. And that does it for this episode. Next week, next week, we're going back to school, back to school to prove to dad that we aren't fools as we talk about stories about the X-Men just as as fun teens going to school and doing teen things. Uh, And that one's going to be really fun. But until then, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience.